This is Speak the Speech, the podcast from Bell Shakespeare. Bell Shakespeare would like to acknowledge that this episode was recorded and produced on the lands of the Gadigal and Wangal people of the Eora Nation, the traditional custodians of this land, and we pay our respects to their elders, past and present. But I do think it is their husbands' faults if wives do fall. Say that they slack their duties and pour our treasures into foreign laps, or else break out in peevish jealousies throwing restraint upon us, or say they strike us, or scant our former having in despite. Why, we have galls, and though we have some grace, yet have we some revenge. Let husbands know their wives have sense like them, they see and smell and have their palates both for sweet and sour, as husbands have. What is it that they do when they change us for others? Is it sport? I think it is. And doth affection breed it? I think it doth. Is frailty that thus errs? It is so too. And have not we affections, desires for sport and frailty as men have? Then let them use us well, else let them know. The ills we do, hmm. their ills instruct us so. Welcome to Speak the Speech, the podcast from Bell Shakespeare. I'm your host, James Evans. And that was Amelia's speech from Act 4, Scene 3 of Othello, read by our guest this week, for Bell Shakespeare, he's played the title role in Othello, as well as spending a year with the players and appearing in Antony and Cleopatra, for which he earned a Green Room Award nomination for Outstanding Performance in a Featured Role. His other theatre credits include I Call My Brothers for Melbourne Theatre Company and Emerald City and Noises Off for Queensland Theatre and MTC. For Elbow Room Theatre, he appeared in After All This, for which he won Best Performance at the Melbourne Fringe, and The Motion of Light in Water, for which he was nominated for another Green Room Award. On screen, his credits include Tomorrow When the War Began, Glitch, Offspring, Rescue Special Ops, and Dance Academy. What a pleasure to welcome Ray chong Ni. Ray! Welcome to Speak the Speech. Ah, thank you for having me. Ray, it's so great to have you here. Now, you played Othello, but when we asked you which speech do you want to choose, you went straight to Amelia from the same play. First of all, tell me why. Why did you choose Amelia? I I guess I lived in Othello for so long and, and he's a part of my being, but there's something about the perspective of this wonderful character that is... It is smaller than um, Othello in terms of stage stage time, but the uh, nuance of what she's talking about speaks to the truth of of uh, many characters who often don't have stage time as much as the lead characters. And it's it's about for me at the moment going through a lot of um, Black Lives Matter and Me Too. It's about equality. It's about um, saying that you know every for every action there is a reaction, and so. Um, these men who have, um, uh, uh, what is it, um, they've uh, made uh, a world that is just male-orientated, um, they often forget that the females are the strongest ones behind them as well. So, I mean, that's you can see that Desdemona, but also definitely through Amelia and what she has to say. Yeah, absolutely. Look, and for me, this is my absolute favourite part of this play. Uh, it's a very problematic play for me, and, and we'll definitely 
get into talking about that a little bit later on. But first of all, talk about Amelia and what's going on in this moment in the scene. So prior to this, um, um, uh, Desdemona has been asked to go back to her bedroom and prepare for, for sleep. Um, and so she's talking to Amelia and asking her, why, why does this man that I love treat me so? And so she um, is asking some advice of Amelia and Amelia being the person that she is in the relationship that she is, she gives off this um, worldly statement and um, it's about comfort, it's about uh, um, camaraderie, um, but also um, about reality, the reality of the world that they're in. Now, Amelia seems to be giving one particular uh, point of view, which is, well, men behave like this. So why shouldn't we behave like this as well? Uh, whereas when Desdemona answers after the end of this speech, she says um, good night to Amelia. She kind of dismisses her pretty quickly and then says, God me such uses send not to pick bad from bad, but by bad mend. So she seems to be articulating a different point of view, which is we should see their behavior and then behave in the opposite way. So what do you think about those distinctions? Um, there is the sense of um, being above the problem, um, rising above that issue and, and being a better person. And I think that it's it's a desire of Desimona to believe that the person that she's married, the person that she's fallen in love with, is still there and that he isn't going down this this wormhole that she can't, she can't support him in. Um, and I think that those two... Um, arguments are both valid for a society that they're in. And Amelia certainly has had an absolute gutful. I mean, you can see perhaps the kind of husband that Iago has been to her through, from this speech. You know, they say they, they strike us, um, they change us for others and so on. And she has absolutely had enough. It seems in that way a very modern speech. She's not going to sit down and just take it anymore. She's going to say, well, I'll give as good as I get. It, she does. She does. And I think it's also part of um, part of her, her psyche in that she's also, I think, attached to Iago and very much might have been in love with him and probably still is maybe. Um, that's up for, you know, each individual uh, production. Um, but in terms of a modern... Um, take on the speech I think that all those things come into play and every single adaptation of it from the 1600s till now every single um, feminist movement would argue a different point I think but in our current sensibilities we see it as as I said before you know me too movement we see that there are things that men do and they have to be held accountable for it and I think that's where she's coming from Yes, being held accountable, and certainly none of the men in this play are held accountable in any other way at any other time. That uh, They seem to just kind of run rampant, and, and the women have to just kind of accept it. So that's why I particularly love this moment. It's a moment of um, almost looking forward. Amelia's almost many, many years ahead of her time, saying there's one day when we'll be able to stand up to this kind of behaviour. And, uh, and that shocks Desdemona, I suppose, who, who still hasn't um, uh, come to that conclusion herself. Well, usually sometimes, well, not usually, but sometimes the, the, area, the ages of the uh, characters can vary. And depending on production, they might bring them closer together so that they um, uh, are closer in age or they can bring them a little bit further apart. And there's that other, otherness about um, a, a more weathered character compared to someone who's got guts and fire but still hasn't experienced the world. 
Yeah, absolutely. And of course, uh, it's worth remembering that both of these characters, Desdemona and Amelia, are murdered by their husbands at the end of this play. And that is an absolutely crucial point, talking about male violence and gendered violence in particular. And and one of the one of the things I want to uh, bring up about Othello, which is I'm I'm very concerned that um, this play leaves gendered violence and misogyny apart from this moment unexamined i'm i'm very concerned that at the very end of the play uh, othello kills desdemona and because he thinks that she's cheating on him and then when he finds out that she wasn't then he is sorry. So so it's almost like, well, it was okay while he thought she was cheating on him, but now uh, he can have remorse. And he gets this long speech where he gets to justify himself at the end and Desdemona doesn't get to say anything apart from kind of wake up halfway through dying and, and forgive him and then fall, fall down again. How do you tackle this ending, which seems to, to um, let misogyny just kind of win the day at the end of the play? Oh, it's such a task for any production um and you know in, in that same vein amelia once she passes is never talked about again except um uh, and othello on the other on the reverse of that they say what a noble man he was they talk about him in the past tense so there is again this um duality of of, of mis misogyny um and um uh, justice. Um, how do you tackle it? I don't know. I think you just have to dive into it. Um, it is something that was written not of our time, um, but you can absolutely um, take these arguments that we're talking about right now about misogyny and highlight it so that out of it comes silence. And I guess by silence, I mean the silence of the women. If you've got all these men around them arguing, the silence in the room of the two women not being able to speak does speak louder because you look at these grotesque males um, talking about themselves and yet the true tragedy is lying on, are lying on the floor. One other way of <laughs> approaching it is just to cut Othello's speech at the end where he gets to justify himself and tell everyone, uh, you know, hey, I, I love oh, not yes. wisely but too well. I mean, it it's an extraordinary um, statement to make when his wife is lying there dead or dying on the floor. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Amelia, when she talks about frailty, is it frailty that thus errs? Is she letting men off the hook there by saying, well, they're frail and aren't we all? I don't think so. I think she is, I think she is pointing out um, quite a, you know, a flaw in humanity and that um, everyone has a choice. We have a choice to um, be strong or be weak. We have a choice to kill or not to kill. We have a choice to love or not to love. And um, it, it is a flaw in everyone, but we, we can choose to be stronger. Um, and not let these men do things to us or not let anyone um, harm us by being strong in ourselves. When you played Othello, it was a huge national tour, Ray. You went to, you know, 27 different um, venues, 28 different venues around the country. How mm. was the production received in the different towns you went to? Were there conversations after the play about the show? What happened? It was incredible, Jimmy. Every single um, part of the country we went to had different reactions. I mean, there were, you know, gasps of disbelief. There were 
um, a lot of uh, conversations being had in the foyers afterwards um, if when we left from the stage door or left through um, the auditorium. I think in general, though, it, it was this moment where I think people re uh, um, were viewing something that was a masterpiece, um, but also still very current. And so um, I remember in a lot of Q&As, there'd be a lot of questions about why did he deteriorate? Why didn't he try to believe her? Um, and, you know, some other questions were, why was Desimona pushing his buttons? And, you know, there, there were um, a whole bunch of different questions that came that we hadn't even envisaged because we were so in it. And I think the regional centres, because they were so... Um, uh, they're a bit more hungry for theatre because of the lack of um, a performance compared to the urban centres where there are many theatre companies and, you know, schools are doing a lot of productions and stuff. And so seeing the national um, touring theatre company Bell Shakespeare come through, it, it they flocked to, to see the show um, with uh, excitement. And so they saw this uh, piece on stage and, yes, it was this magical night that they had, but also... Um, it, it highlighted, um, you know, the current uh, the current problem of the time, which was um, gender violence. Um, so there was, it, it it was very interesting to track uh, which which centres that we went to um, either spoke about it more or spoke about it less, or walked away saying that was a great piece of theatre. Um, it was it was very varied. Ray, we've talked a bit about uh, the gendered violence and misogyny in this play, but of course, right at the heart and centre of Shakespeare's play is racism and the idea that Othello, a man of colour who has shown himself to be very, very useful to the Venetian state, is still an outsider, even though he is so successful. Now, how do you deal with that theme when you're inside this play and playing the role? There's no shying away from it, obviously, because of the play itself. But, you know, at the time, Adam Goods also was going through quite some um, horrific stuff. And instead of saying um, this is something that um, this is a play about a black man, it was for me always going this is a play about what can happen to a woman. If a man, what whatever colour he may be, this instance, he is coloured. But if a man um, is... Um, forced or no is uh, persuaded to go to a dark place and this ends up um, with the loss of a life or loss of lives um, because the male cannot control his um, his being his his, his self-worth his his understanding of himself and so I think um, in terms of tackling this sort of thing you know there are, uh, are a lot of um, scholars out there who talk about um, uh, one of them being Ben Ockrey that I um, read up a lot about in preparation for Othello. You, you ultimately ha have to um, tackle it head on. Like uh, being a person of colour, I still find there are moments in my life that um, it, it makes me cringe where I think, oh, actually, I, I still do feel like an outsider, even though I've worked really, 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 really hard to get to where I am. 
And there are moments where it isn't even a problem. I remember growing up thinking, oh, I wish I was white sometimes. And then in my older you know, years later now, I feel so empowered by this difference that I have. Um, and I think um, in terms of highlighting that on stage, there is no two ways about it. You know, it's, it's the same way as, um, you know, Merchant of Venice is, is a problem. Um, but, you know, you can't shy away from, from um, the perspectives that it might be um, a problem because we still have it. Absolutely. But uh, here's another issue which I find with the play is, and you mentioned the Black Lives Matter movement earlier on, and part of the problem is representation of... Uh, people of colour in media, on stage, in film. How do we justify showing a black man committing such a violent act at the end of this play and putting that on in, say, 2020 or 2021 and saying, well, this, this was the hero of our play. This is the man that we're all supposed to sympathise with. I mean, how, how is it possible to even play that role today? I think time has made Othello what it is. In the the few hundred years that it's been played, um, we've objectified it, made it into what it is. And I think also it can't be a matter of quashing plays like this because then um, that sort of representation and learning about this sort of material won't be put up on stage and won't be put forth for people to learn from. Um, I think if you shy away from such matters, then we just all turn a blind eye towards these sort of things. And yes, it's hard to see a black man. I mean, it's hard to watch Othello as a black man and it's hard to be Othello as a black man. But um, ultimately, um, if Othello wasn't around, then his canon would just be about all um, white stories and... I I, I think it was put in his can for a specific reason. You're listening to Speak the Speech, the podcast from Bell Shakespeare. I'm James Evans, and with me today, Ray Chongni. Now, Ray, I love telling this story about how you started your Bell Shakespeare career <laughs> because I, I, I remember this so clearly. It was 2012, you were auditioning for the players and you came in and just <laughs> knocked it out of the park. This is eight years ago. And I remember you, you walked out of the, the uh, audition room and Peter Evans and I, and I, there were a few other people there, and we quickly looked at each other and went, we've got to get this guy. And I literally ran down. <laughs> ran down the street, down Argyle Street, down George Street in the rocks and ran after you and said, Ray, Ray, <laughs> will you do it? Will you please join the players? And uh, you very kindly uh, said yes. Oh, Jimmy, it um, wasn't even so- kindly. I, I mean, I walked out of there thinking, <laughs> oh, I don't know what I just did. And it's one of those things where you're so in the moment and you were just like, oh, uh, yeah, yes, yes, I'm doing it, I'm doing it, I'm doing it. Then it'll finish. And I walked out thinking... Oh, I don't know if I did it. Oh, oh well, I've just got to, I've got to plan for my day because that's what I learned. I've just got to plan for my day, think about what's ahead, and then suddenly I hear this, Ray, Ray. I'm like, I think that's Jimmy. I don't know. And then I turn around and you're puffing and you come up to me and you go, now look, we need you. We, we, we've, got to, we've got to make sure that you're serious about this, mate. We've got to make sure that you really want to do this. And I looked into your eyes and I said, 
Yeah, I am. And I made that decision yeah. right then because I was serious about it, but I hadn't given it that much thought. Um, you know, a bit having someone run after me and say, do you want this now? And I thought, I was, I was a bit in shock, actually. Um, so I said, yes. And you're like, are you sure? And I went, yeah, I, I, I'm sure, yeah. actually. I'm very sure. Then you, you spent the year doing theatre for young audiences, travelling around the country, working with young people. What was that experience like? Had you ever done anything like that before? Uh I had toured. When I first finished from acting school, I did get a gig, but it was for um, a mascot for fire and water um, safety. And so we did tour throughout Queensland. So that was a taste of touring. Um, and that was probably about three months, but nine months of touring, or maybe eight months of touring, is a totally different beast. And um, going to, I think um, when we did the stats that year, is something about we reached almost 80,000 students through all the various programs mm. for education yeah. Um, yeah. and done thousands of kilometres. Every single day that we got up and we went into a school, we would be greeted by these eager eyes, people, uh, uh, students and teachers, sorry, who had either A, studied the material that we were going to do, were about to study the material we were about to perform, or it was something in the future that they were wanting to um, get a glimpse of. Um, and so mm -hmm. there was this... Um, leaning forward, if you wish, by the students. And there were moments, yes, when we did lose them and they'd get rowdy or they'd start talking to each other or back chat while we were doing the um, performance, um, saying whatever they were saying. Um, but I think ultimately it was one of those experiences where, it, you know, having a person of colour and um, three other performers in our group um, come two males and two females, making them laugh, making them go, oh, that's unbelievable, or making them... Um, shocked in the fa uh, shocked in the fact that um, in one of the scenes, uh, um, Father Capulet hits Juliet, um, make, hearing audible gasps, going "Oh my gosh!" and one kid saying, um, "Yeah, if my did if my did did that to me, I'd kill him." We were like, "Oh my god, what? Oh my god!" Um, so the the um, the joy that we found from them was was palpable and was so um, affecting for us. Yeah, and did you uh, did you meet up with some Islander kids when you went around uh, some of the schools? Did you see some Islander kids out there? Yeah. Did you talk to them? Yeah, yeah. yeah. And I guess that was also part of um, the beauty for me is that um, representation in terms of um, uh, my culture or uh, my background being Pacifica, representation for those kids seeing a person... Um, uh, of their community being up on stage, whether it be in a school hall or in a theatre, um, seeing the seeing me up there can often inspire them to do more, to be more, to go for more. Um, you know, because we're more than sport, we're more than religion. We are quite capable, um, but sometimes they need reminding of that because familial values and other outside forces can can take that take that empowerment away and that was you know so evident jimmy because we did the detention center Bax's uh, detention center and a lot of the um stu uh, a lot of the young adults uh, males who joined were um from pacifica um uh communities who were in there um I, I don't know what the percentage was but you know they saw 
that this was an opportunity for them to maybe flex some creative muscles. And so they did it. And that, that's part of the beauty of, of what the education arm can do. Yeah, I mean, that's a very inspiring program, the Juvenile Detention Program. And what was it like performing in that centre? There were 120 um, young men lined up in that gym and just four actors. Was that intimidating? Was that exciting? What was that like for you? It was intimidating, but also that that intimidation um, sort of kicked in with the adrenaline, and so you were hyper real, you were hyper sensitive, because you knew that things that were coming out of your mouth and the actions that you were doing, these young adults have either been through that, but to a tenth more of a degree, or um, it's something that they haven't yet experienced. But also, you know, there was just um, there was no other focus for them at that very time because they had nothing else except this intermission from their daily lives of either you know talking to each other or being incarcerated this was something that they could focus on um, and there was no schoolwork or homework or mum and dad or money or etc the only thing that they had to do was be in this hall and watch these four people do what they were doing and uh, you know it it was you, you could they looking into some of their eyes while performing you could see depth and truth and realness like you know it, they were either going to like us or they were going to kill us that was sort of the feeling but um <laughs> um but it, you know it, it was never going to get to that but uh, that's just what you felt like it was like wow this is this is real yeah, it was thrilling. I remember I was there. I remember seeing that performance. It was you, you could have heard a pin drop during the Shakespeare sections, particularly. Uh, they mm. they just were absolutely enthralled by the commitment of you four actors up on stage, and, and that was a thrill for me to watch the audience watching you as well. Now, you you played Othello. You were in the players, but you've also played Oberon and Theseus in Midsummer Night's Dream. That was originally a production for young people, and then it went on to have a life of its own in Melbourne and Canberra and in Wollongong. What was that experience like, working very physically on that set, bouncing up and down that framework? Did you enjoy playing Oberon and Theseus? It's a comedy, and who does not like to be laughed at when you're making um, a comedy? You know, It was joyful at the very end to see the mechanicals putting on their play. But the flip side of that is seeing this beast of a, of a fairy god, um, uh, you know, um, walk around with his big coat and, um, and with a little sidekick, Puck, um, trying to create mischief, um, who was played by Julie Forsyth. Brilliant, Puck, brilliant. Um, I guess it was... It was a real opening in terms of Shakespeare for me because I'd never done a comedy quite like it with the movement that we had from Nigel Poulton um, and the set that we had, which was um, quite a, a quite a big set that we could, um, as you say, climb and move around. And um, I think it it really flexed the muscles. And I still um, uh, remember what Pete said to me, and he says this to me with every Shakespeare. He said, "Be more muscular with your language," and that really clicked open a few things for me because you know sometimes we forget that the language is what you just need to use and that will convey a lot of things and um you know like a um like many things you, you often um you're, you're so um blinkered into doing something that you forget the that uh, some of the work's already been done for you by the, the penmanship and for you 
where did your Shakespeare journey start? Did you encounter Shakespeare as a kid or was it much later? Uh, yeah, at, at high school actually. I had two beautiful English teachers and two or three um, beautiful uh, drama teachers who um, pushed me. And um, I think it was year 10? It was either year 9 or year 10. Um, there was the Estedford that it happens in Queensland and they were doing um, a Shakespeare um, component and I thought yeah I'm gonna go for it so I picked up Macbeth's speech of um, is this a dagger which I see before me and went mm. in and did it of course I didn't read the play so it was absolutely out of context <laughs> and at the end the adjudicator said that was a very interesting interpretation but maybe read the play first <laughs> right <laughs> um, so that was my first foray into Shakespeare and then obviously at acting school um, Shakespeare is a must so we um, I encountered Othello there which is how I got um, instilled into my brain that maybe one day I'd play it. And mm, um, mm. post acting school, it was always, um, you know, there's Shakespeare being done all over the globe, you know, so it was always um, around. And Ray, when you were a kid, what kind of theatre did you see? What kind of live performance did you see? Did you see yourself represented as a kid? Did you ever think, yeah, I could do this because I can see myself up there on stage? Well, being born in Samoa and uh, immigrating to New Zealand um, when I was quite young and then after being in New Zealand for some time, moving to Australia, um, I didn't get to see live theatre as we know it in terms of seeing it in a, um, a natural, um, in, in, in um, a theatre such as this, you know, Rosenpacker or the Sydney Opera House. I didn't get to see that until later in my life. So all the theatre that I did see was... Um, uh, amateur or high school and seeing um, in New Zealand a whole bunch of islanders on stage I thought yeah uh, this is you know beautiful this is what I want to do I want to create happiness and joy etc and then coming to Australia when I was in high school and um, coming into contact with Shakespeare um, it was the community um, groups you know the choral societies that I saw on stage doing plays like West Side Story or The King and I and so seeing that I guess I, I didn't see the representation of myself and my community as much in um, the younger years but I definitely saw that it was something that I could do and I wanted to do and I wanted to be a part of that um, uh, but part of the change for my community to be able to move on to the stage and you know to, to play the roles that were being played um, and so you know seeing um, I guess the the where I saw my community was um, on film and television more and that was inspiring and uh, that also gave me um, quite a big lift in terms of moving into the arts. And your award-winning performance in Antony and Cleopatra, you played in a Barbus, which is such a beautiful role. And I think one of the things I most admire about you, Ray, as an actor, is your ability to express that poetry, just to deliver that verse and make me see those images. And that's so crucial with Ina Barbus because he gives that stunning description of Cleopatra and her barge. How do you approach Shakespeare's language, Shakespeare's text, to illuminate those images for us so beautifully? Uh, one of the tools that I, had, I have in my um, toolbox is... Um, um, looking through the vowels because they do deliver the emotion and the consonants gives the sense. So it's always about working with those vowels. How far can I stretch the elongation? How, how much um, 
uh, in my timbre can I put the the O's or the E's and you know in my range as well using every single bit of my range to see if I can mm. cre create paint that picture um, sometimes I go a bit too far but you know it's it's better going too far because then you can get pulled back um, well that's what rehearsals is for well, that's right. and certainly uh, Peter Evans as your director in that production let you go as far as you wanted which was absolutely beautiful <laughs> and uh, obviously pulled you back in, in certain moments as well <laughs> yeah it's not about you Ray uh, yep <laughs> <laughs> is that what he said it's not about you Ray <laughs> oh, not, not in so many words but uh, I do remember going Oh, uh, yeah. Yeah. I better step back from that. <laughs> Amazing. Ray, thank you so much. I've loved chatting with you today. Just before we go, we've got this thing called the final five, where, where I ask you five quick questions. I need five quick answers. Okay. You ready? Oh, my God. Yeah. Okay, yep, go. <laughs> Here we go. As an actor, Ray, do you like to be the lover or the villain? Villain, definitely. Yeah. Oh, it's so much. Oh, it's just you get to do. Yeah, villain. Yeah, yeah. So, you so, get to play evil things. So, do, do, do you, you want? Do you want to play Iago one day? Maybe you could play Iago one day. Ah, oh, look, mate. I haven't finished with the fellow. Yeah. I'm. 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 I'm looking at Iago for sure. What do you think is the most underrated Shakespeare play? Uh besides the fellow, um, I think Merchant of Venice. It's such a beautiful. Um, play and yes, uh, a lot of people would say that it's anti-Semitic. Anti but um, in looking at Amelia's speech today, there's also the beautiful speech from Shylock in Act Three, Scene One, mm -hmm. and that was something that also I saw. Um, I was um, I found when I was younger, and it really highlighted Shakespeare to me that he does open up the um, the conversation for bigger universal themes. Ray, who's your favourite actor whose work you admire, but you've never worked with them yet? Who who do you want to work with? Oh God! Um, Could be anyone. Oh, that's so hard. I haven't even thought about that. Um, who? The, okay, an actor that I haven't worked with that I would like to. Um, Anita Haig. Oh, beautiful, beautiful. What's your dream Shakespeare role apart from Iago that you haven't played yet? <laughs> what's What's on your list, Ray? Um, well, I was thinking about it. I, th I think I'd like to tackle Prospero. Oh yeah, yeah. I don't know why, but I think I'd like to tackle Prospero. Um, it's, it's either that or um, seeing if I can um, play Parkett on stage as well. Ray, if you weren't an actor, what would you be doing? I was. I got the grades to be a teacher, so I think moving into something like teaching because that seems to keep coming into my life. But mm. you know, when I was very young, I wanted to help people, so something um, in the you know working for an NGO or the humanitarian side of things. I think, mm. um, yeah. Ray, it's been an absolute pleasure. Thank you so much for joining me today on Speak the Speech. Thank you, Jimmy. Thank you very, very much. Bell Shakespeare is Australia's national Shakespeare company. We perform in theatres and schools in every state and territory. If you'd like to support our work or to learn more about what we do, please visit bellshakespeare.com.au. Speak the Speech is produced by Bell Shakespeare and edited by Camillo Zanoni. Be sure to follow at Bell Shakespeare on social media and don't forget to subscribe, rate and review the Speak the Speech podcast through your listening platform.